0: following message is from the 2015 ibcd summer institute equipped to counsel thank you for coming to uh this i know that the title would not necessarily interest many of you because you might not have teens but what this really should have been entitled is helping all of us (laughs) with our device addiction But anyway, so it turns out it's teens, but it's really everybody. Let's just ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we just heard this wonderful um, reminder to do the spiritual warfare and to be prayerful. So, Lord, I I ask that you be with us in a powerful way. And please help us to not be controlled by anything other than your spirit and your word. Amen. Well, my first introduction to this was when a youth leader came up to me and said, because she knows I'm a counselor, "Um, what am I going to do? One of my girls in my youth group had a full on panic attack when she had to put her smartphone in a basket for one hour during youth group. She goes, you know, we jokingly call it um, her, you know, her crackberry. But (laughs) that's uh, uh, that's kind of what it is. So um, I started thinking, well, how does that happen? And what does my smartphone actually replace and i came up with this and see if you can come up with any more this is what our i mean of course there are many different kinds of devices but if you have a smartphone this is what it replaces um calendars calculators planners um telephones cameras newspapers encyclopedias paper book bibles concordances radios televisions movie theaters Jukeboxes, cash registers, department stores ordered on Amazon just by Prime, um, alarm clocks, flashlights, video games, memo pads, banks. Right? We can take picture of our bank. We don't have to go anymore. And typewriters. Did I miss any? Starbucks. <laughs> you you drink from your phone? Um, so <laughs> okay. okay, That's right. you can order everything now. Oh, boarding passes. Yes, there you go. It replaces a lot. So, I mean, we can understand how this happened. And as a biblical counselor, I come face-to-face on a weekly basis with people who become very anxious and fearful if they can't have their fix right now. And, again, because it's so accessible and it replaces so many things. Um, It can be held in the hand at all times. You know, I guess except where you're in the shower and I hear now that they're waterproof cases I don't know if you can like text in the shower um, and I know people who, who they're under their pillow at night um, not just next to the bed under the pillow so it's the first thing you reach so um, I guess it's not too shocking that all this has happened but um, they are omnipresent and omnipotent they really are they have a lot of power and they seem omnipresent so what is the problem i would say you can see from the outline habits and hypocrisy habits are physical that's the outer man hypocrisy is a spiritual issue that's a heart issue that's inner man um and let's just talk about the habits first humans young and old are hardwired for habit formation aren't we I mean, not everyone develops habits as fast as somebody else. I habituate really quickly, but some people take longer. But we all are hardwired that way. That's how God made us. Jay Adams, who's the father of new aesthetic counseling, he um, he called them life-dominating habits because addictions, he said, has too much the the sense of something medical. But these are habits that are life-dominating um, the, the Bible calls them enslavements. Think of the, the, time, the number of times we see enslavements written in the Word of God. And these are patterns of thought and feeling and behavior that take over our lives. You think you have control over them, right? Don't you say, oh, I can stop when I want. Really? The day that I showed up at work and I realized I didn't have my smartphone... I mean, it was like, oh, my word, what am I going to do? I turned around and went home. I mean, it was only a five-mile drive, but still, there was more important things I could have done there, and I could have survived the day without it, but no. I had to go home and get it. So, uh, yes, (laughs) we understand. Um, But you see, the people around you know that it's not true. Um, if you ever worked with somebody who struggles with alcohol, they, they'll say, oh, yeah, I can give it up when I want to. Those who are closest to them know that's not so. That's not true. So um, we know that the Holy Spirit gives self control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's the ultimate solution, it's not a medical inter- intervention. Um, and I want to say this. I think these are spiritual issues before they become physical issues. Anything you do over and over and over again becomes a brain rut. That's my term, a brain rut. If you've ever seen a, a road, <laughs> a backcountry road, you drive o- over it, what happens? You get a rut. Is it easy to get out of the rut? No. The neurologists call it, a much more technical name, a neurological Pathway. Right. So, humans, young and old, are hardwired for habit formation. So, it is no wonder that our brains have become retrained to think about our devices at all hours and at all times. A term used by professionals in communication technology is this hyperactive connectivity. Think about that. Hyperactive connectivity. Information and entertainment is available at all times. And at incredible speeds. And don't we want more speed? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing the 5G, I'm doing 10. <laughs> All right. We got to have it now. You may not have to sit here and wait for this thing to download. Oh, my word. And another term now being used in the industry is an ecosystem of interruption technologies. Think of that an ecosystem of interruption technologies that means we're training our own brains to be unable to focus and concentrate we're doing it to ourselves i mean i thought children killed brain cells okay right they're always interrupting you you can't think you can't concentrate i have five you know but i'll tell you nothing like your devices to interrupt you and what they have found is that we're training our own brains to be unable to focus and concentrate Um, you see Jesus didn't live like this Uh, he had rhythm to his life Um, he went off to pray and you know what his smartphone didn't interrupt him he needed that time away yeah he had nothing beeping at him see we have tyranny of the urgent because why do you keep that so close because somebody might Need you. They might call you my word. It's essential. You might miss that important whatever. So you have to have it right there and check it. And I'm actually shaking today. I'm, not, I'm kidding you. I'm not. But I've gone the whole day without checking on two very important people in my life who have huge problems. But I spent the whole day, I thought, no, I'm not even going to check on them. I'm going to live out this talk one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1992, Neil Postman, has anybody ever heard... Of Neil Postman. He was one of the earliest thinkers in this area, and he wrote a book called Technopoly. Technopoly. And he said, 1992, the digital world is changing all of us. He saw it coming. The digital world is changing all of us. And I know some of you are thinking, wait, I came to this workshop for our kids, not for us. (laughs) Be patient. They're next. B, younger brains are even more malleable and plastic, by plastic I mean changeable, than adult brains. Neurologists call the ability to learn new habits neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. The younger the brain, the more plasticity. My grandson, I have to brag on him, he was nine months old when he saw my PDA. Remember PDAs? Yeah, I had a PDA a long time ago. That was eight years ago. And he saw it, and he reached for it. I gave it to him, found the sound page. Oh, and he had the greatest time. I was all proud of him. I didn't know I'd started him on an addiction. but uh, No, just kidding. He's not. He's perfectly fine. But when you teach young young ones that, that they learn it, they catch it really, really quick. But what happens is, have you seen the cartoon of a park bench filled with kids all on their devices and behind them are all the swings and the sliding board empty that's actually not just a cartoon that really happens in fact a church nursery worker told me two weeks ago that they had a two-year-old in the church nursery that was inconsolable guess what finally calmed that screaming baby two-year-old down was it the mother Was it a bottle or a pacifier? Oh, no. They found his tablet in the diaper bag. And when they found the tablet, that two-year-old was happy. See, it was used as a babysitter. (laughs) I know, shocking. But you know, this woman was very reliable. I said, I believe that. I believe that. See, younger brains are even more malleable than adult brains. Next photo images are particularly powerful Um, the number of digital images that come into our lives and our children's lives is enormous it grows year by year you know it's taken over our jobs our schools, our homes I'm just going to ask you, don't don't answer out loud how many screens filled with digital images do you have either personally owned or in your home I started counting and I thought, oh my word I have five. I have five. I have a desktop and uh, two TVs and a pad, iPad, and an iPhone. That's five. Okay, I'm not saying that anything is particularly righteous or unrighteous. I'm just saying I have a lot of, of screens in in my world. And they've also found out, by the way, that blue light decreases... Your sleep, your REM sleep. They've just done a study. Um, Readers' Digest just put it out. Whether that's worth anything, I don't know. But if you spend an hour before bedtime with a blue light, that the screen, the blue screen, um, your REM sleep is reduced. I don't know how significantly, but it's reduced. So, but the whole point of photo images are particularly powerful, and we are bombarded by them. Now, here's. You've seen kids walking around just completely glued, right? they got their earbuds in and the volume turned up. Well, when you're combining high-definition pictures and you bond that with high-volume sound coming through high-quality earbuds, that impact is greater. And when touch is added, and these are are touchscreens, many of them, that's even more impact. And, of course, interactive games are the rage. Can you imagine the power that's going to happen when they finally add smell and taste to these things, you know it's coming. Probably, you know, Bill Gates' successor is working on it right now. Um, Aldous Huxley, you've all heard of him, a philosopher and author of Brave New World, he said a long time ago, people have an infinite appetite for distractions. People have an infinite appetite for distractions. He wrote Brave New World. He also said another thing that's very insightful. People adore that technologies that undo their capacity to think. I'm going to say it again. People adore the technologies that undo their capacity to think. And he wasn't talking about this. Aldous Huxley was... Uh, I'm not sure when the date is, but, you know, it was nothing like today. So, um, (sighs) photo images are powerful. But then we have the next point. Emotional validation comes through a screen if face-to-face presence isn't chosen. See, part of the lure of these devices is their ability to bring an emotional connection with people they've never laid eyes on, except on a screen. Okay? They develop deep relational connections with people they don't even know well. A lonely college student I counseled not too long ago. She said her really close friends were her online friends that she played Bioshock with. Of course I didn't know what Bioshock was. I had to it's a game. Some of you know what it is. But I mean, she didn't feel very close to her roommates at all. Spent hardly any time with her roommates, but her Bioshock game mates, she was thick as thieves with with them okay she had a many hour a day listen to this she had a many hour a day skype relationship with a young man from another continent she hadn't ever laid eyes on him okay and when i say many hours a day three or four hours a day not always at one time but they 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 were skyping all throughout the day all throughout the day but she didn't have time for corporate worship very often and hardly any time for fellowship with other believers. She was a professing believer, you see. And with this young man, I mean, they got to the place where they were telling each other they loved each other, they wanted to marry each other, they hadn't ever met. But they made that connection. Okay, I'm not saying this is sinful, this isn't a man-made rule, Okay, but I'm saying it's real risky. It's real risky. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying we're going to you know, have this big, you know, computer burning tonight. No. We, we just have to be wise. Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. You see, what these devices do, listen to this. They give the aura of intimacy without the reality of presence. I'm going to say it again. They give the aura of intimacy without the reality of presence. They think they know each other because these precious but deceived young people are fooled by that emotional connection they make through the constant music, the enticing games, and other shared interests. But just to be fair, haven't we done that too with talk radio? I've known people, I were one of them for a while, that felt that they, had, that they actually knew talk radio hosts because they heard them all the time they really had this sense of you know an intimacy they really knew them when the only time they knew them was they heard what they said on their talk show you see we can be fooled into thinking we know somebody because we hear them but we really don't know them now next major point e these devices can become like household gods and idols addressed in Scripture. Now, in Scripture, what are idols connected to? Often. It's image. They're often called an image. They're a golden image, imagery. And they were their household gods. You see, in Scripture, an idol has no real existence, does it? No, it has no personhood. They're the work of human hands and the human mind. Dr. Calvin Traup, write this name down. Dr. Calvin Traup, T R O U P. He teaches rhetoric at Duquesne University, and he's been studying the impact of the media on communication for many, many years. Um, very committed biblical thinker. He says, "All images are false mediators." Just think on that. All images. Are false mediators. Jesus is the only true mediator, because Jesus brings together the Word with the image, the Word of God, and He Himself is the Word. He's our true mediator. But all of these devices are filled with images that fail to mediate the truth. Doctor Trout says they are only an image; they are not the reality. It's fascinating listening to him. He makes some really good points. And what he says is, those who serve them will become like them. Now, we know that from Scripture. That's Isaiah. <laughs> you serve them, you become like them. You see, we cannot see or hear with accuracy. That's how idols fool us. We become mechanical when we serve idols. I'm going to say that again. We become mechanical when we serve idols. Marshall. McLuhan. Who's ever heard of Marshall McLuhan? Some of you have. He was a philosopher of communication theory. He said, We shape our tools, and afterwards our tools shape us. We shape our tools, and afterwards our tools shape us. And of course, his most famous phrase is, The medium is the message. So our medium now is this high speed. In front of a screen, information overload. Um, Next. Because I'm talking about habit. Now I'm going to talk about hypocrisy just a tiny bit. It is hypocritical to come down on your children's habits, not just teens, all your children's habits, without first making a serious effort to address your own. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect before you can address anybody else, but you do need to do them simultaneously. My recommendation... Uh, recommendation is ask the Lord to show you how to replace your own enslavements at the same time you're enforcing your children's enslavements. So, be honest. If they're spending way too much time on their devices, little kids, middle, whatever, whoever it is, I think it's perfectly appropriate to address it in grace and truth while you're also addressing your own. Just don't be pointing out theirs when you're doing the identical thing yourself, saying, Well, it's my job. (laughs) The problem, yes, you can be doing your job, but if you have one of these devices while you're on your job, what's going to pop up at the top of your screen? (laughs) I've been in church using my iPhone as a Bible, and the little screen popped, and so somebody texted me. I'm you know I got my prayer list open and I'm getting pinged and and they're teaching me how I can cut all that out the young people of course teach me how to use it you know you don't have to get those messages and I went cool um but um understand how enslaving it pe- it can become cuz you feel like you have to something has to get done somebody's going to need me you know if if I don't keep my phone ready I mean I have a daughter this is true she's got of a pretty severe disability. And she's trying to get into her own apartment. And she really needs my help because nobody else is there to help her. And what if, what if, what if, you know. No. God loves her more than I do, right? He's got the big picture. If he wants her to get that apartment, she's going to get it. And they don't have to have me so I can turn that thing off and focus on what I'm doing. But that's hard, isn't it? especially we who are always got our fingers in helping and fixing. It's really hard. So you work on your own simultaneously with helping your young people. All right, what do we do? Only 20 minutes. Good, I'm into the solution. That's one thing I hate about this stuff. You know, you spend the whole time on the problem and you leave the solution to have this much at the end. I said, I'm not doing that this time. The solution, replace technology with moment-by-moment communication with christ what does that mean sounds mystical doesn't it what do you mean moment by moment Come am i listening okay i'm going to tell you what i think this means it means listen to jesus i mean you're people of the word <laughs> that's why you're here at this conference um but you still need to all those passages of scripture that you've studied and that have impacted your life Talk with him about it Talk with him in a personal way Communicate with him Don't just ask him for things Don't you like it when your kids or your grandkids I'm up to you and st- Instead of saying, you know, give me this They say, hey, how are you doing? I really care, I love you I And mean, that's, what, that's what the Lord wants with us Communication So listen to him, talk with him And that's the same thing we can teach our teenager, our children. Remind your child and yourself to be aware of his presence and his promises and his instructions, his amazing grace, and even his warnings. There are lots of warnings in Scripture he gives us. Now, only his spirit and word can guide you there, but be thinking of him. And my favorite thing now that helps me when I wake up is instead of... Reaching for my phone and my do list, that's my first thing. I just start singing praises, thinking about casting my care on him. Whatever your biggest concern is, start thinking about him. Don't reach for your do list. Now, some of you don't do that, but those of you are who are... How many list people do we have in here? Oh, yes, thank you for your honesty. Um, we tend to think about Oh, what... You wake up, your mind clears, you think, what do I got to do? You're going to be set free from some of these enslavements if you start focusing on the Lord. Listen to Him. Start praising Him. Next point. Flee the power of foreign gods. If anything has gotten too big and controls your life, run the other direction. Is your device more important than your Savior? Oh, of course not. Really? (laughs) Really? I know it's not in theory, but in action, you know, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, escape the addiction by putting off and putting on. Now, Ephesians 4, putting off and putting on, that, that's come into disrepute lately. I have heard people say that Jay Adams, who was really big on putting off and putting on, he's into works sanctification that it's so mechanical you just put it off the wrong thing and then you put on the new one and voila you're better well he never taught that anyway that's a misrepresentation um, but uh, there, we need to come and really understand what that passage means because if you don't learn Christ that way putting off the wrong thing too many devices constantly constantly thinking about checking social media i know none of you do that but um or that i i have to look at my do list and if i don't check maybe i forget something that i have to do today oh my word really it's okay see but we're we're we think we have to um So flee the power of foreign gods. Don't play with it. Flee it. Again, I'm not suggesting you throw these things away. I'm going to give you great suggestions, what I hope is helpful. But we just have to remember, if it's too important, flee. Now, in helping your your young person, we have to be honest. Next um, point. Ask your teen or your child honest questions about their screen life. We just assume they're doing the right thing. <laughs> um, that the sh- that, especially if you have uh, internet in the house, and even if you have a, a block on it, you have um, some filters. That doesn't mean they're filling their lives, their hours with good things. Um, help them understand what's happening to their heart as well as their brain. You know, one thing I just said to my. 12-year-old granddaughter um, when we went to uh, see a show said, what do you think the producer and screenwriter want you to think? What do they want you to feel? So teach these kids who are watching all the time, listening to the music, playing the games, watching the TV shows, because now you can get Netflix and you can watch any show you want all the time. Okay, um, what, Get them to think about what's in their heart and again don't just glare at them when they're doing something questionable that's what we do we call it the stink eye you're just going to look at them like this okay um have a heart-to-heart talk with them now there are going to become a time where you're going to have to forbid it say no you can't listen to this or limit their time you can have this long and no more But have a heart-to-heart talk. So ask them honest questions, find out what's going on in their heart, and really talk about it. Um, The next point, design true statements. This is part of the solution. Design true statements that address your and their worst habits of thought and behavior. This might not seem like a solution, but I have found it extremely helpful in counseling as well as in my own life for not just, believe me, device addiction, any life-dominating habit. You see, neurological pathways can be changed your whole life. Do you know that? The brain is not set in stone at age five, as once was thought. It doesn't actually end until you're really old or really ill. That's when you no longer can change the brain at all. But it will. You can change. Um, in fact, one of the uh, latest I've heard. My sister is a registered dietitian, and she took a course on preventing Alzheimer's and dementia. They're saying in order to reduce your risk for that, make your brain do new things, change your routine, change all oh, change your routines big time. If you take one route to to work, take another one. If you type one way, switch it up. Switch your routines because of neurological pathways. We want to have. New one. So you you have the capacity to do it. So does the Lord address that in His Word? Hmm. Be ye transformed by the Renewing. renewing of your mind. Hmm. See, the Lord addressed that. And what I have found really helpful is to design a truth statement that addresses my worst habits of thought and behavior or my counselees or my kids or grandchildren, whatever. Of course, my kids don't listen to me anymore. They're all grown up. (laughs) But whoever you're working with, and I have a caseload of probably 25 counselees right now, and they come to me with all kinds of (laughs) habits of thought and behavior and feeling that are really dragging them down, this is what I tell them to do. Um, Design a statement that is based on a, a passage of scripture or several passages that counters the lie they're living by. Okay? And make them say it every day out loud with conviction in front of the mirror. That's their homework. You go back and say it every day out loud and the only time I, I don't say the mirror is if they're anorexic you never want them to look in a mirror. But anybody else can look in a mirror and say it out loud with conviction. Let me give you some examples. Let's put a little meat on this. Um... God says my value and worth comes from who I am in union with Christ and not how awesome a game player I am. So if somebody's hooked on games. They need, and they're a professing Christian. Many of these young people are professing Christian, but they're hooked on their games. Okay? Here's a real helpful truth statement. My value and worth comes from who I am in union with Christ, Colossians 3, 3 and 4, (laughs) okay? And not by how awesome a game player I am. Or, here's one, how many people agree with my comments on Facebook? Okay, how many likes did you get? There are people hooked on being appreciated, getting attention. And if they get 392 likes on their Facebook page, whoo! You know, <laughs> see that's 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 not what we're about. Our identity with Christ, the gospel, the whole gospel—that's what it's about. So there's an example. I'll tell you the true statement that changed my life, and the first one um, that ever, you know, came to me, and I and I, I say it regularly. And this is this one. You moms can appreciate this. God says. My purpose and my significance comes from my identity in Christ and not how my kids are doing. (laughs) Nor how well they're succeeding or what kind of jobs they have or or whether they're in ministry. You know, when you get to my age, they're supposed to be in ministry now. You know, you prayed they'd be warriors for Christ. Well, I got some who aren't on the team. (laughs) Okay, that's not my identity. Okay, but we can really get that mixed up. So there's a true statement that is pushing back my wrong thinking. Now, in the area of device addiction, I'm, you, know, you design it for them. Um, but you see, identity with Christ isn't the only one. Here's another helpful one. Um, God tells me to fear him and not grieve his spirit. Therefore, I'm going to listen to his voice and I'm not going to get hooked. I'm going to limit... My social media. I'm going to set a limit or a time and not go over. Why? God tells me to fear Him and not grieve Him. Okay? Now, am I talking about justification here? No. Can I say you lose your salvation? No. I'm just saying I want to please Him. I don't want to waste time. He told us to redeem the time, for the days are evil. And how much time do we waste on these devices? I know they're tremendously helpful, but there's a line between helpfulness and wasted time. All right, which leads me to the next point. Retrain your brain, limit screen time, be honest about your screen time, and use every reasonable opportunity to use old school tools. Okay, so I used to like it when i could use my iphone didn't have to take my big lunky bible to church which practically gave me a backache but then i realized that i was using it so much and i was missing really the beautiful notes i'd kept in my old paper bible (laughs) so at every opportunity if you have one of the old school use it because your brain is adjusted to that so use it um and also, here's a big problem for young moms. If they have, they they worked hard with their little kids all day long, right? And at the end of the day, when they finally get the kids into bed, what do they want to do? Oh well, well, it could, no. Or in other words, it's me time. I I deserve a break. I worked hard all day, and that's true. But their bodies are really exhausted, and they think, oh, I just need some decompression. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of times, a show, a game, um, getting on Facebook, that really doesn't go very far in decompressing you. If you just, you know, sing a psalm, a hymn, and put your head on the pillow and turn the light out, you, you you know, sleep is going to be good for you. I've counseled so many women, y- moms of young kids, who who they say, I'm just so exhausted. I can't get out of bed in the morning. Uh, what time did you go to sleep? Two o'clock. Oh, really? Why? What were you doing? Um, Well, I got the kids to bed by 9, but I spent several. Well, first I cleaned, and then I watched this show. I can't miss it. And then I spent an hour on Facebook because I just, yeah, I had to find out what they were doing. And, you know, I just, and this was a routine because I need me time. I need time for decompression. No, you don't. You need sleep. You need sleep. And I know it's hard to sleep, and that's other things, but... Okay? <laughs> Retrain your brain. Next, when it comes to your kids, your teen or your kids, bring balanced consequences to them for disobedience. Take away the device for a significant period of time with no opportunity to get it back until the habit's under control. <laughs> One mother I'm working with, she's, she's got a whole lot of issues. But anyway, her two boys... I won't say their name cuz I never never want to identify them. By the way, I live in Pennsylvania. So, but I'm still protecting their uh, their privacy. Uh, uh yeah. Well, they're they're under 12. These two boys under 12. Okay. Um they were they as soon as they get home from school, they spent 6 hours on screens of some sort. Couldn't get them to go out and play. You'd say go out and play. They'd be back in in 10 minutes wanted on their screen. So what she finally did in one fit of anger is she unplugged, get ready for this, the PlayStation, the Xbox, and the Wii U. Unplugged them. I mean, that she actually took a recording of the one child, this boy, screaming. I mean, he was screaming like he was being tortured because she took away three of his games. Now, he still had his tablet left. And his mother's smartphone that he always borrowed. But at least she said, until you get those two under control, I'm not taking those back. So at least she did that. But anyway, pray about ways to teach priorities and then let them earn back their privileges. But that's when they get first things first. First things first. If they're not, um, if you're not having family worship with them, And they're not doing their responsibilities, either schoolwork or just going out and playing. And they're just completely glued to their screens. I mean, you can get control back. You don't have to let it take over. God will help you. The spirit of God will help you. He really will. And then, if you're really desperate, (laughs) the world of technology has provided its own answers with what? More technology. I saw it advertised. Um... Well, there are teen tracking devices. But there's now a gadget you can buy. Have you seen it? It looks like a pepper mill. It's this big. And a mother who's trying to get everybody in the family, have you seen it? All to come to the dinner table, and nobody's paying attention to her because everybody, including her husband, is on some device. She can twist the top of that that, uh, pepper mill, and unbeknownst to them, they don't know, they think she's putting pepper on dinner. Every device in the whole house goes off immediately. Yeah right yes every device gets turned off immediately you know and i thought well how yeah i know where can you get that <laughs> but here's the thing this is a matter of the heart and yes these boundaries and these things that we these blockades to our uh they help to a point but the heart is the heart and they are gonna they're they're gonna they're gonna figure it out that that that, that pepper mill is really not a pepper mill. It won't. That smart seven-year-old is going to get it really quick. And he's going to hide the pepper mill. So, so, so that's not the solution, okay. But the world has it. All right. Moving on to prevention. How am I doing for time? Good. Moving on to prevention. Now, here, when I, you're going to hear some things in prevention that sound a whole lot like solution. There is some overlap here. But... I really want to emphasize prevention. Focus on the whole gospel. "Well, Well, I am. I'm going to submit to you that the whole gospel is first and foremost the glorious promises. I'm also going to submit to you that the gospel contains warnings. Really? Wait a minute. Is that heretical? Who's heard of the Westminster Divines in here? Has anybody heard of the Westminster Divines? Raise your hand. Oh, we have two. (laughs) 500 years ago, these men, there was enormous controversy about how to have assurance. Um, They were fighting the Roman Catholic Church. And what they did was, against the orders of Charles I... Charles I said, if you gathered for this for this assembly and where you're trying to figure out these theological issues, you're you're gonna be in jailed. But they did it against and the par- it was a big battle between Parliament and Charles I. But they did it, and they spent three years. They they were away from their families, they got in the word, they on their faces in prayer. And they are the ones who put together Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, your catechisms, the larger and the and the shorter one, these are enormous tools. Now, they're the secondary standards; they're not the primary standards, but they they did an wonderful job, and <laughs> they talk about the warnings of the gospel. So, <laughs> if you you know you should have a copy of those and read about that. Again, never, never, never that you can lose your salvation. No. But their exposition and their explanation of what justification is and what sanctification is and the difference is enormously helpful. It's worth studying because they put the scripture proofs into them. So, so helpful. And so many people don't know about it. I mean, in this room of a certain number of people, too, very, very helpful. So, focus on the whole gospel. The glorious promises, the warnings, and the instructions. Wait a minute. The gospel involves instructions? Yes, it does. It's called the law. The old Puritans worded it this way. The gospel and the law sweetly comply. Think about that. The gospel and the law are not enemies. They sweetly comply comply and I'll explain what I mean by that Um, when we're now trying to prevent these life dominating habits whether it's devices or something else we need to practice limits that's sensible I mean like the verse redeem the time for the days are evil is that an indicative or is that an imperative that's an imperative isn't it redeem the time for the days are evil It's what God tells us to do. So how do we do that? I say we practice limits on the hours consumed, the money spent, and the energy used. Now I know some of you are thinking, Ooh, that's a man-made rule. Okay? I know, and and God doesn't tell us how how many hours a day to spend on our devices, does he? But he says, redeem the time for the days are evil. See, it's just a sensible boundary to give yourself some limits. I mean, we do it in eating, when we're eating in a non-gluttonous way, we we set limits. It's a sensible boundary. We should. Again, now this doesn't mean the heart will not crave what it wants. The heart craves what it wants, doesn't it? And you can put up sensible boundaries, whether it's in the area of device or any other life dominating habit, eating, alcohol, drugs, and the heart's going to go after what it craves. But lim- But practicing limits does help to learn to say no and stick to it. So when you're working with your kids and they're hooked, okay, give them grace. By the way, uh, Jessica Thompson and Elise Fitzpatrick has, have written a great book on kids called Give Them Grace. It's awesome. But, yes, but give yourself and your kids sensible rules, Does that earn your salvation? No, no, no. Does it make life livable? (laughs) Yes. All right. Remember, when we're setting rules for your kids and you're setting a a limit, you can be on your device for this much period of time. Or you can watch this. You can play this game, but you can't play that one. That's a rule. Now, are we talking about justification here? No. We're not earning anything. But what are we talking about? We're talking about serving the Lord better. We're talking about honoring him. We want to please him, not grieve him. Hmm. Is that right? Are we earning our salvation when we say we want to please him and not grieve him? No. That's our reaction of gratitude. We want to please him, not grieve him. What we want to do is replace self-indulgence with self-control. We want to replace self-indulgence with self-control. So how do we do this? Retrain your brain daily. Make the means of grace a routine, not a rarity. Anybody in here know what the means of grace are? Have you ever heard of the phrase means of grace? Ah, uh, nobody. Um, some, okay, a few have. That's another old Puritan term that the, the divines came up with. All the things, how you get grace. Grace is a gift, but the means of grace are how you get it, which is prayer, worship, communion, fellowship. Those are the means of grace. Do they earn anything? No. But God gives you grace through them. You grow. You grow. You get stronger. So make the means of grace a rarity. Well, why did I put that under retrain your brain daily? I'll give you an example. And I mentioned it before. Turn to Jesus Christ's gracious word before you turn to your do list in the morning. Grab his grace before you grab your smartphone. So think about his love. Think about his grace. Sing a song before you get into your day because what happens when you be honest when you start getting into your day what happens it gets away from you you know how did that happen you know i haven't gotten it and i'm not laying a guilt trip on you i'm saying though you retrain your brain grab those means of grace you know in the word in prayer before the day gets away and you're on this device and that device and this interruption and that interruption and you haven't had your time to listen, to be still and know that he's God. And then, whew, off it goes. Next point on helping to prevent these life-dominating enslavements. Talk is better than text. Just observation here. Choose face-to-face or ear-to-ear instead of always taking the easy way out by texting or emailing. Haven't we got to take the easy way out? You know, it's so much easier to text. Um, Someone very close to me would always text when it was dinner time because she figured her house had three floors, so she didn't want to holler up the stairs. And since everybody had a phone, she just, you know, instead of ringing a bell or hollering, she just texts them all, time for dinner, which is fine. That's harmless, absolutely harmless. But if we don't ever have face-to-face time, and if I don't pick up the phone or come face to face and it's always digital, always digital. We'll text you. Okay? Then you you really you, you get hooked on that. The only time I recommend that you that, that somebody text, you know, about something serious is like when a couple is fighting so badly that every time they're together the sparks fly. Then I say we, we in counseling we say, just text each other <laughs> until we can calm some of these problems then you can go back to -to face-to-face but if possible talk nothing wrong with texting i'm just saying what's happening to our brain what's happening to our interpersonal relationships if we only ever use digital and don't actually talk to each other and go face-to-face next resist the flattery of the device the screen flatters us by instant gratification it is really not to your benefit to get immediate feedback. Sometimes just waiting a while decreases the urge. Like, let's say you're, having, you're on a blog, a theological blog, right? Anybody being on theological blogs and you're interacting? You just want to know, did anybody answer me? Did anybody come back with that? Oh, what should I do next? And just wait. Maybe you don't need to be, you know, always right. Maybe you don't need to be Mr. Answer Man or the fact checker. Maybe you don't need to be the first person to comment on some new movie or, or make a snarky comment about the latest controversy. Isn't that what we do on Facebook? Oh, that's just. i got to get my two cents in here. Next point. And I'm nearing the end. Be patient with me. You guys have been a great audience. Always be identified by union with Christ, not by your productivity or your popularity. The grace movement is right about this gratitude for grace is a bigger motivator than fear of consequences and that's what the grace movement is saying gratitude for his for gospel grace is a bigger motivator than fear of consequences and that is true most of the time but be balanced it's not always the motivation God gives us in his word and it's not always the motivation many times it is but not always Fear of consequences is a biblical motivation. Just think about that. Fear of consequences, not just gratitude for what he's done. Fear that he would allow a bad consequence. Is that a biblical motivation? How about Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12? He disciplines those he loves and he chastises those his sons he chastises so he's allowing a negative consequence Um, those passages are filled with threats never vindictive threats never throw you out of the family never stop loving you in that way but still there are consequences for sinful behavior they're in his word my little phrase that I made up that helps me you can have it if you want it is the good news is not very good till the bad news is very bad <laughs> the good news is not very good, to the bad news is very bad. And that's really helpful in evangelism, but it's also helpful in sanctification, or when you're working with your kid who's hooked on something, or you, you know. The good news isn't very good, to the bad news is bad. Very bad. And the bad news is, I'm going to get really hooked on all my devices if I don't limit them. <laughs> I mean, or, or food my, you know uh, we struggle with gluttony you don't hear too many sermons on that but we do see the good news isn't very good too, the bad news is very bad the very bad news is is, is he going to kick me out of his family no is he going to love me less no am I going to grieve his spirit yes could I get diabetes yes <laughs> um, could I outgrow all my clothes yes <laughs> or if I drive like a crazy woman could I get a ticket hmm Is that because he doesn't love me? No, it's because he does love me. All right, See. So, fear of consequences is a biblical motivation. So your child who's hooked on our devices will not appreciate grace very much. Listen to this. Your child who's hooked on their devices will not appreciate grace very much until they truly believe they're, they're slaves. They're hooked. Just like an adult. Do adults get hooked? Well, yes. Think of some who are hooked in adulterous affairs. You know, I mean, how often do we hear about a pastor um, who got caught in an adulterous affair. See, he's not going to deeply appreciate grace until the whole uh, bad news comes out, the whole ugly story, what we all now call inappropriate. We don't like adultery anymore. It's now just inappropriate. See, it's when the, the whole ugly truth comes out, then grace shines all the more beautiful he doesn't love you less he's ready to forgive no matter what we're hooked on devices or whatever last point the more that parents practice these principles the more their teens any of their whatever age child the more the parents practice them the more the kid will see that their identity should be in Christ not their devices not how much fun they have not their performance their school grades how awesome game players they are whatever it is when they see the parent practice it they're, they're seeing it modeled and they learn it so um, make sure you're not requiring anything of them that you're not yourself requiring of yourself Okay, don't ask them something you're not working on no double standard here but come alongside your child. Listen to what your child's saying. When you tell your child, you know, that show that you've been watching three hours a day, I'm not sure this is good for you. But talk talk to them. Say, well, why do you like it? What's in there? See? And explain what God's doing in your heart. Explain what's going on in their heart as much as you can tell. So we all need to be set free in Christ and not enslaved by any life dominating habits. That includes Oh, this is going to just hear the, hear me out such an important point that includes devices careers health you can be hooked on your health <laughs> or ministry there are people who can they're workaholics not just where they're secular jobs they can be workaholics in the church and neglect their alone time with God or maybe their families you see bottom line is the entire gospel sets us free the whole gospel it's promises of undeserved grace, as well as the gospel warnings against self-indulgence. The gospel is good news, the whole gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your whole amazing gospel grace, the wonderful, amazing promises and its warnings and its instructions. Thank you that the law and the gospel sweetly comply. All glory to you. Amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.